is episode number 29 with Debbie Taylor. Welcome to the Females in Tech show, where we help women in tech to live a balanced and purposeful life through a career in information technology. My name is Tamara and I am the founder of Fit Collective. In this podcast, I'll explore the challenges females face working in a corporate environment and how to overcome them. Beyond technology, I will also dive deep into self-care practices, how they can improve your physical and mental well-being, and the importance of balancing work and relationships for a sustainable and rewarding career. In this episode, I interview Debbie Taylor. Debbie has more than 30 years' experience in the technology and telecommunications sectors. She's held leadership roles at PwC and Vodafone Australia, where she led teams to successfully deliver large and complex IT and network transformation projects, enabling and driving significant business change and benefits. In 2014, Debbie Taylor joined NBN, where she spent five years as an Executive General Manager of Technology Design and Delivery. Debbie was subsequently appointed Chief Information Officer of NBN in January 2019. As CIO, Debbie designs and leverages technology to create great customer, employee, and partner experiences using latest technology tools and methodologies whilst ensuring systems are secure, available, and perform as expected. In this episode, we cover Debbie Taylor's career journey from management consultant to various general manager roles with Vodafone Australia to her current role as CIO of NBN. Debbie shares some pivotal moments in her career and how they helped advance her career. Debbie explains what diversity and inclusion means to her, why it's important, and the impact to businesses, as well as providing an overview of the DNI practices at NBN. We also discuss the importance of having a diverse team within the context of developing AI solutions. Debbie also shares her advice to women who aspire to joining the C-suite and becoming Chief Information Officer, and so much more. Welcome, Debbie, to the Females in Tech show. I am so excited to have you on the show. I first watched you on the Game Changers video, and you shared your story and what NBN were doing in the diversity and inclusion within the workplace, and it was completely inspirational, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to see if you would be interested on being on the show, not thinking that I would get a yes, but I did. So thank you so much for saying yes, for being on the show today. I know the listeners are going to benefit so much from your wisdom. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) And before we get kickstarted, I'd like to start the episode with two opening questions. The first one being, what is one thing that you're grateful for today? Well, if you had asked me that six months ago, I probably would have answered that quite differently, but the world is really changed. And I think perspectives um, have really shifted from where, well, at least mine has shifted from where I was six months ago. And I would say that the thing I'm most grateful for right now is the health, safety, and well-being of all my loved ones overseas. I've got a mother who's in her 80s living in Florida, which we know is really hard hit right now, but she's very well and safe and healthy. And um, all my family in New York and New Jersey, all my family here. So that is the thing that I am absolutely most grateful for today. Oh, so beautiful. And that's one of the things that I love about the pandemic and COVID is 
Everyone's gratitude practice has brought them back to the real basics, which we often take for granted. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm grateful that your mother too is safe and well. Thank you. Me too. And Debbie, can you tell us about a recent achievement or something that you're proud of? Yeah, so I can't go past um, the way that we've responded to the pandemic here in Australia with MBN. Um, our initial view was to make sure that all our people were able to work from home safely and effectively. So rolling out the, my team rolled out the technology and the tools to enable people to work from home, um, to be safe, and uh, for all of our MBN folks. We also rolled out the technology to enable our partners overseas to also work from home safely. MBN as an organization, I think we did a lot to ensure that everyone could work from home and could school their kids from home with added capacity that we put into the network um, with financial relief packages to enable people to be able to enjoy the broadband that actually has become so essential. Wow, how amazing. And I cannot imagine... NBN having to support so many more Australians with internet, but also, you know, doing all of that to ensure that their employees are looked after and have the ability to work from home. Yeah. And also our field technicians who are the people out there in the field who, um, you know, go out there and make sure we can connect to service. And a lot of people were wanting to connect during this time or make sure we fix the service becomes so essential and making sure those technicians were safe. So providing them with information about homes that might have COVID, um, might be COVID compromised was really important. So it's, it's about ensuring that we looked after everyone. Awesome. And I was actually one of those people because I had moved just before the pandemic and so grateful that I did move. But yeah, it was... It was really touching to know that NBN and both Telstra, who I was using um, to make the effort to ensure that I did have the internet to be able to get by and be able to work from home because technology and internet is such a big, big part of my life and everyone's life at the moment. Exactly. Yeah. You know, to be able to school your kids and be able to work at the same time you need quite a lot of capacity to do that. And we had watched what was happening overseas and we, because they were a little bit ahead of us in terms of going into lockdown. So we were able to use that information to make sure we had enough capacity for people here. Amazing. Now, before we dive into today's topic on the importance of diversity and inclusion in the workplace, can you share your career journey to where you got to where you are today? Sure. Um, So I think a couple of things that I wanted to mention on my themes and my themes were really around technology. I've always loved technology. So I knew I was going to do something in the technology space and I have throughout my career. And um, the other thing is because I've only worked for three organizations um, in throughout my career. So I'm, I'm, and I am in the third organization. Um, so it's really been about taking on different roles within the same organization. And I started in the consulting space and that was a great way to learn about other companies and um, to do a lot of really interesting things and actually be exposed to so many different types of people, which was really good. And I loved doing that. But I, when I had my first child, um, I found that the, um, the ability for people to understand that you do have a child and you need to go home. And I'm talking, this is just over 20 years ago, 21 years 
ago and people weren't as forgiving uh, to say, yes, you don't need to come to this meeting at night um, because they wanted you physically there. I couldn't be on the phone. So that made it really difficult for me to be in consulting. And I was also ready for a change in that I wanted to not only do the consulting and um, help people to understand what their next steps were, I wanted to actually take those next steps myself and, and execute on it. So I went to work for a telecommunications company where I got to be a project manager doing really complex technical and business related projects, which were so fantastic and very, very varied. Um, and towards the end of my time at this telco, I wound up taking on a completely different role, which was a business management role, roll out the governance um, of the new CEO who would come in. So basically the CEO's office or chief of staff and um, to run transformation. And then I followed him to his next job, did the same thing, and then went back into a more operational role in the technology space. Wow, what a journey. And I think one of the key things that I heard there was that you were so driven and you seemed like you had an idea of where you wanted to go and felt really confident in taking those big decisions to move into your next role. I was, but it took time to get to that confidence. So earlier on in my career, I probably lacked that level of confidence and um, more went with what was on offer. And as I got uh, more experienced, I was more deliberate about what those career moves were. Mm, interesting. Thank you for sharing. And what have been some of the pivotal moments in your career? Yeah, I want to talk about one that was quite challenging for me that I learned a lot from and one that was also more positive. Um, and the challenging one was a, I was asked to run a, a big program. Uh, it was technically com really complex. It was very big, multi-year across countries, um, had a big business change management side of it. And I was really excited about it. I thought this is my career maker, you know, the thing that was really going to springboard my career. And um, so I started working on it. And my first activity was to get it approved through the two executive teams because it was two different countries. I needed to get it approved, which I did, and that was great. And then I started on the execution phase. And um, I had a bit of a disagreement with one of the executives who was quite influential. And the next thing I knew after that, I was um, told that someone else was going to come and run the program and that I could take a very small part of it and I could run with that. And I would learn from this other person who was going to come in and run it. And I could have done that. And I had very young children at the time. And I thought, yep, that's something that I could do. It would be easy for me to do that. But I decided not to do that because I didn't think that was the right thing for me. And I, I'm so glad that I didn't because it put me on a completely different trajectory and um, a different mindset as well in terms of what I thought my value was. So that was something that I really learned a lot from. And I've definitely changed significantly as a result. Now, the other one was more about um, putting myself out of my comfort zone and taking on a role that was completely different to the role that I had been performing. That's the business manager role I mentioned to you. So it was a bit of a risk to, um, to step into a space that I wasn't experienced in. And I think for me, that was such a good move because I, um, so I went from running a, a big team to really having no one reporting to me. So it was a, I had to give, I had to give up what I thought was a lot at the time, but actually you need to give up things, I think, to advance. And what I got out of that was um, I was sitting in meetings with very senior people 
really learning from them, learning how to run, how organizations run, how to run an organization. And that experience has enabled me to be a much better leader, person, manager um, than I otherwise would, would have been. So I'm really glad I took that risk. Wow, amazing. And I'm interested, during that time where you did make the shift into a role that you had little experience in, was your imposter syndrome appearing at all? Yes, yes. And and it does, you know, it does a lot for me. And you really have to step back and think, okay, how do I go about doing this? Who can I speak to to help get some insights on to help me with the role? That so many people are there willing to help out. And, um, you know, and I like to structure things. So really putting down a structure, how am I going to manage it? Um, how am I going to make sure that I'm successful? How do I take the things that are transferable and the skill set that I do have and apply it to my current role so that I feel more confident? Because that imposter syndrome is definitely real. Mm, I love that. And I'm interested, you mentioned that you learned a lot from the executives. So not having a team, but being in a room full of senior executives, how did you learn from them? Did you just observe or what were some of the things that you did to learn from those executives? Uh, Probably the biggest thing that I learned is really listening to how they phrase things, how they, um, how they ask questions. A big part of being a leader and a lot of the meetings that I sat in was bringing other people into the room, understand maybe a particular challenge the business was having or a decision that we needed to make and listening to how those executives would ask questions of the people, making the people feel comfortable and confident to answer the questions honestly. That's probably the biggest learning that I that I took out of that. And to this day, I use those techniques to also ask questions in the right way, because I think a lot of the role of a leader is to really listen to your people, really understand what they're saying and to um, help them to move that from what they're saying to to um, get business outcomes. Amazing. And I'm going to put you on the spot here, but what is a technique that you would use in that situation? Like how, how do you ask someone a question in a way that makes them feel comfortable? I think um, the first thing that, that I do is to recognize what they have said. So you know, so what I understand is you're, you're saying this, do I have that correctly? And just so I understand that to another level, can you please clarify this or um, help me to explain a bit more in this area? Because I'm interested and these are the reasons why I'm interested. Giving context to people is so important. Why are you asking a question? Because um, I think sometimes people might come in and think, okay, are they questioning me or they're questioning my expertise? And the answer is no, it's just to understand this so I can help get to the outcome. So that context is so important. Yes, that does make so much sense. Thank you so much for sharing. Now onto the topic of diversity and inclusion. People often refer to diversity and inclusion as being a gender balanced workplace. What's your definition? So gender is definitely part of it, but for me, diversity and inclusion are actually two parts that make a whole. The diversity is having different people around the table that could be gender, could be culture, could be age, um, could be sexual orientations, just having really different thoughts in the room, that diversity of thought, that's really important to come up with great ideas. And then the inclusivity is making sure you hear those thoughts, giving the space for people to be able to feel confident about saying something different, you know, bringing on a, um, a different point of view, and then learning how to take that together 
to create better outcomes, to create a better environment for people. Oh, love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And I could not agree more. I am so looking forward to a life where we don't need to talk about diversity and inclusion, where it's second nature and it's not just about gender, but it is including all of the level of layers that you just mentioned, including age and religion and culture and so forth. It's it's one of my dreams and hopefully this podcast can help it get there. I would love that. <laughs> and why is it why is it so important? Why is diversity and inclusion so important to a workplace? Because I think if you have that diversity and that inclusivity, then people feel like they can bring themselves to work each and every day and they feel really valued. You're being listened to, then you feel valued and and then you want to say more, speak up more, and that ability to speak up then drives that innovation in teams. Teams are higher performing when they listen to all the voices that they have there. And it's just a, it's a much better place. It's much more fun place to work. It's much more rewarding and you create better outcomes as a result. Yeah. And they're, they're better business outcomes. Absolutely better business outcomes and companies that know this are the ones that are doing better. And in fact, um, many investment companies in the US will only invest in organizations that um, have diversity and they start with diversity of their board, making sure there's diversity there and look at how the diversity in the organization and the inclusivity is across the companies because those are the ones, the bottom line is they perform better. Mm, Yes, could not agree more. And I'm sure NBN is one of those companies, but we'll touch on that a little bit later. Now, AI is becoming an increasing part of today's technology and even more so when we talk about diversity and inclusion. So can you explain how AI is impacted when you don't have diverse team of developers and so forth? Yeah, so if you think about artificial intelligence and machine learning, those are things that are programmed. And so you have a programmer sitting at the other end. And if you have all the same type of people programming something, well, then that program will be biased because we all come with our own biases. There's no, even, you know, no matter how much um, we like to think that we're, we're trying to be unbiased, we, we all have those entrenched biases. And if you have a same group of people coding something, they're going to put those biases in that code. And then you will wind up having an outcome that is biased. And I'll give you an example. Um, I read in, I read somewhere that this organization wanted to remove bias from their recruitment process. Sounds great. So they got a bunch of programmers to code in, um, you know, just basically looking at the resumes and making sure they were getting a diverse group of people. And what they found actually was because they were basically because they were were removing the human effort to look through and look at the names. And and so they um, what they found, though, in the end was that they were getting the same type of person again and again. They were getting less diversity. And the reason was because the way they coded that, the way they programmed it was looking for terms that only a very small portion of people would ever use. For example, they were using the term, looking for the term execution. Now, many cultures would never use that term on the resume. Many females would never use that on the resume. So what they were finding is they were getting the same type of um, basically white male to apply. And so they just stopped doing that because it was so biased. Wow, how interesting. And how is NBN working to remove unconscious bias in AI and coding? You know, so we, the first thing we do is look for a very diverse team. So we want, we want to get that 
diversity of people across our CODAs, programmers, um, people working in the data space. We've got uh, standards on the ethical use of data. And um, we also do peer code reviewing where one coder might review someone else's and we try to match that up with people who are a bit different, a bit diverse so that we can identify that unconscious bias that someone might put into their code. Unreal. I It's funny because I was quite technical earlier on in my career and there's so many different levels of bias, but also so many opinions in the way that you should code. So it's just it's just another world and it's something that organizations really need to consider and think about because we don't want to be in a situation with the company that you mentioned earlier where they have this whole team and they're looking to hire more diverse people, but they end up hiring or coding to hire more males. So I love that NBN is peer reviewing each other's code and, you know, really making an effort to make that code and AI not bias. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and NBN is a leader in terms of diversity and inclusion. Can you share a little bit more about what NBN is doing? Sure. And I think the first thing to really understand is that this um, diversity and inclusion is led from the top, absolutely led from the CEO on down. And if I think about when I first started working for NBN just over six years ago, there were no female executives. Wow. And um, executive. And, you know, you start to think about who do I look for in, you know, in um, my next step in my career. And if mm. sitting in the executive, it's hard to see yourself. Today, we have four of our nine executives are females, which is wow. such, yeah, such a big difference. Um, so firstly, it needs to be led from the top. Now we have at MBM, we have um, pillars that we look at in terms of diversity to make sure that we're focused on on all different types of people. And then we also have some programs that we have rolled out around gender diversity. So we have a program that looks at our talented senior females or uh, females across the company that we have think have a lot of potential and we focus on them. So we, we try to do a lot to promote and encourage people and we talk about it a lot. We recently went through um, some changes in our organization. We talked about the need to have that diversity at all different levels. So we're very consciously discussing it. In my own team, I know we spend a lot of time talking about diversity of thought, high-performing teams, what makes up a team, doing a lot of training on diversity of thought, on inclusivity, on things like psychological safety. If people don't feel safe. So you can have all those diverse people. If they don't feel safe to speak up, then you're not going to get the benefit of that. So we do a lot within MBN and we also have um, some targets, gender targets as well. Mm, amazing. And what advice do you have for business leaders who would like to introduce more of the diversity and inclusion strategies in the workplace, but not really sure where to start? Yeah. So I think the first thing is it's got, it's got to be led from the top. I, I think if, it, if, if you're trying to do that within a team, within an organization, it's much more difficult. You can take steps and definitely make some improvements, but if organizations are serious, start from the top and then understand why do you want to do it? What, what's the benefit? What outcome are you trying to achieve with that? And then, um, and then I would say that the next step would be to understand where are you at with, with um, your diversity and inclusion to identify how far you want to or need to go to get to where you want to be. And then I would suggest doing only a few things, testing those things, 
learning from them and then improving that and continuing on your journey. Mm, That's really great advice. Thank you. Now, Debbie, you have a role that a lot of women and particularly women in tech aspire to be, and that's a CIO. What advice do you have for the upcoming women who are looking to be someone like yourself? I think the um, the thing I would say is to, because still technology is very male dominated and that can be, that can be a quite intimidating. So I would say to really find your voice in, um, you know, in, in the meetings, in the forums that you're in. And even if it's just one thing or two things that you say to get that courage to speak up um, and to be very um, vocal about your own career with your manager, to be specific about what you want. I, um, one time I was overlooked, I think I was overlooked for a particular role that I, I really wanted, but I didn't know it even existed until someone was appointed into it. And I said to my boss at the time, why did you pick that person to go into the, that role and how come you didn't even speak to me about it? And he said, because you didn't tell me that you actually wanted the next step in your career. And that person did, I didn't know. Had you spoken to me, it might've been very different. So my advice would be to, to tell people what you want. Maybe you're very happy with where you are and you don't want the next step. Maybe you want a sideways experience, but if you don't tell people, they're not going to look out for you. You have to look out for yourself. You're the one who's accountable for your career. Mm, I love that. And I particularly love that because I believe, well, I I want to believe that there are a lot of male allies or male mentors out there who want to do the right thing and want to support bringing up more women up the corporate ladder. But we have responsibility as a female too. And, you know, having that voice and telling people where we want to go is something that we need to take responsibility for. So that's really great advice. And thank you for sharing that. And I completely agree with you. We have a lot of male champions out there. And in fact, many of my um, steps have been because of males. So, uh, you know, I, I would say don't be afraid to talk to males and to, you know, the people who are, And you'll know those people who are the ones who are um, very open to all types of um, different talent and they will really help you along the way. Yeah, amazing. Out of interest, do you have a story? I'm I'm always about celebrating some of the male champions in our field. Do you have a story or an example how one of your male mentors helped you in your career? Yeah, I guess one one of them um, was a male who said to me at one point, he said, you know, you should be more senior than you are. And I've done all this learning about uh, women and gender equality. And I've really, I've spoken to experts and I think that you're where you are because you're female and you should be more senior than you are. And because I had really respected that person and I still respect that person and um, I still see him as as a mentor, I um, it gave me a lot of confidence to go for the next step in my career, which I might not have had otherwise because he really saw me at that next level. And it took, maybe it shouldn't, but it took someone else to see in me what what I had hoped was in me, but wasn't as confident and to give me that confidence to take that step. Yeah, beautiful. Wow, he sounds amazing. And just before we go to our closing questions, is there anything else that you wanted to share with the listeners today? I think the the biggest thing that I would say to all the listeners is that if you want to do something different in your career, you've got to back yourself. And I know that's sometimes really hard for females who feel that if I look at a role and I'm 
not 90% already there, then I might not apply for that role. And your male counterpart might be 60% there and they're going to go for it because they back themselves more. I mean, it's just a general statement, but overall men back themselves more than women. So I would say back yourself. If you see something that you're interested in, the worst someone could say is you're not right for the role. And you might ask them then, okay, what do I need to do to be right for that role? What would you expect to see? But at least you get on people's radars if you don't, if you're not successful. And the best is you will be successful and then you get that opportunity. Yeah, I am a living, breathing example of that. I'll I'll show you a story, Debbie. I was working for a partner, a Salesforce partner at the time. And I had experience as a campaign manager, so building out digital communications for our customers using the Marketing Cloud platform. I had then transitioned into a developer. So I was a lot more technical, writing a lot more code, using the platform in a more sophisticated way. We went through a quiet period and I'm one of those people who loves to be busy and I don't like quiet periods. So I was looking for the next step in my career and I was actually interviewing with Accenture in London and Deloitte in Hong Kong to help start up their marketing cloud practice there. And I was in the final stages of the interview and then I saw that Salesforce had released a campaign manager role and I thought, ooh, Salesforce is my dream job. But it's a campaign manager role. It's a bit of a step back. But, you know, like what you said earlier, sometimes you need to make sacrifices to get to that next step. And I looked at the job description and I thought, my God, I do not meet any of this criteria. Like I do not meet it, even though I'm a developer now and I've already had my experience as a campaign manager. I do not meet this criteria. And I spoke to my partner and I said, well, what do you think I should do? Do you think I should just pursue the roles in Accenture and at Deloitte? And he said, no, I think you should go for it. At least, you know, the worst thing that can happen is you don't get it, but then they know about you and then you know what you need to work on. And I was actually really late in the interview process of getting that campaign manager role. And it turns out that I had the skill set that they needed. So it just shows that a lot of women do not have that confidence, even if they don't meet all of the criteria on the job description, most of the time that criteria is just generic and it's not really what a hiring manager is looking for. And what they are looking for is someone who is passionate and driven and, you know, want to get their hands dirty and really learn and accelerate. Some of those technical skills can be learnt on the job. Yeah. And it's great that your partner actually encouraged you to do that. Not everyone has that. And, you know, it's great that you went for it and that you got it. That is a great success story. Yeah, I think I think he was a little bit selfish because he didn't want me to move overseas. <laughs> but uh, um, no, he's definitely a great male ally and a very big supporter of my career. So yeah, I am very grateful to have him. So Debbie, I want to head to our closing questions now, which I'm really sad because I don't want this conversation to end. Are you ready? I am ready. Absolutely. Awesome. So what's one thing that we can do to achieve gender equality in the tech industry? Yeah, I think we need to start really early with kids, very young school age kids. I, we, have, we have an unconscious bias in society that starts very young. And in fact, um, not that long ago, maybe six months or a year ago, a fourth grade teacher asked the classroom of kids to draw an adult scientist and without fail, they pretty much all drew a male. So it's starting very young. And we, as a society, we are creating that, that bias. We need to change that so that it starts 
at a much younger age and people will see male females in, um, you know, in scientists and people in the STEM. And, and if we start young then, and promote that as we go along, then um, I think we will make a huge difference. And we, so um, just so you know, we in MBM, we, we've got some programs that we support like Code Like a Girl, where um, we, we support those, and this is around kids around eight, uh, girls around eight to 12 years old, where we go out to those schools, or we did before the pandemic, go out to those schools and um, really uh, support and promote the coding and the fun of coding for and what it means for girls. And hopefully that helps them to see themselves in the future doing something like that. Yeah, I love Code Like a Girl. Ali Watson is doing an incredible job in the tech industry and she is such a legend and really moving the needle in this space, which is long overdue. Yeah. And what's one piece of advice that you would give to yourself at the age of 25? Yeah, I think it's um, around what we were saying before. You have to own your own career. No one else is going to own it for you. And you have to make that clear and let people know about that. And it will it will come. Yeah, couldn't agree more. What's one thing that they wish you taught that they taught you in school but didn't? Yeah. Um, so thinking about that question, because that's an, an interesting question. I think that schools do a good job of logic and reasoning in the math space, right? So if A is a subset of B and B is a subset of C, A is a subset of C, right? But I don't think we do a lot in critical thinking. And I wish that um, when I went to school, there was more about that critical thinking. For example, um, if person X is, um, it causes conflict in the workplace and person X is a female, do all females cause conflict in the workplace? And having those types of discussions, which are much more real life, I, I think that that would have created a much, a much different cohort of people coming out of schools. And I hope that we do, that schools do do more of that real life critical thinking. That's so important. Yeah. And that example is breaking down some of the biases too. So it's ticking off two tick. You're ticking off two checkboxes there. And the last question, if you could recommend one book for females in tech to read, what would it be? So I'm not going to go with a technology book. I mean, I could recommend Site Reliability Engineering, which I think is a great book. It's very it's very um, interesting to read through. It's like 13 or 14 different engineers who wrote it. Actually, it's got a lot of good, um, good advice from a technical perspective. But I'm going to go with The First 90 Days, which um, is by Michael Watson. And um, this book is all about how do you approach a new job or a new role or if you're going to a new organization? What are the things that you can do to accelerate your success? Um, it talks about things like technology, politics, culture, and how you fit in very quickly. What should you do? Like having quick wins to start with, how you develop relationships. And um, I think it's got a lot of really practical tools in it. The thing that I use it for as well is not just about new roles, because I think that um, you can be in a role and become a little bit complacent. And I never want to be complacent in my current role. So every six to 12 months, I dust it off and think about, well, what if I were not in this role, but the person before me were fired and I came in and I had to take on this team, this role, what would I do? And it gives me fresh eyes to look at, um, look at the role, look at what I would do differently. And um, I guess it refreshes what I do and invigorates it and makes sure that I, I stay fresh with my role at all times. 
I love that. I'm definitely going to have a look at that after this episode because it's very relevant. Oh, you've got it. (laughs) It's very relevant. I think even just with what everyone is going through at the moment with the pandemic, everyone's had a huge mind, mind shift in what they're doing in their role and reconsidering you know, is it a role that they want to stay in in the future or do they want to do something else or what can they do to make a big impact and ensure that their role is secure? So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think one, one more thing I would say is that um, I think with any role, the most important thing to do is actually do the foundations really, do your job really, really well, give you that permission to try new things or to ask for that career advancement. But I think in, in your current role, you should do that exceptionally well. Yeah, great advice. Well, thank you so much, Debbie, for taking the time out of your really busy schedule to meet with me today and record this episode. I have loved every single minute and I'm looking forward to listening to it on repeat because I definitely found it valuable. Thank you, Tamara. It's been great to be here. Thank you for joining me today. If you'd like more information about today's show, you can read my show notes and any relevant links at fitcollective.com forward slash 29. That's F-I-I-T collective.com forward slash 29. I am so grateful for this opportunity to serve the females in tech community and hope you find the information helpful and inspiring. My goal is to inspire you to reach your goals and provide you with the practical tips on how to be the best version of yourself. If you did enjoy the show, then I'd like to ask for three things in return so that I can educate and inspire more career-motivated women and male allies. One, please subscribe to the podcast in your favourite podcast app to ensure you don't miss an episode. Two, Share the episode with any friends or colleagues that might benefit from the content I'm sharing. And three, please leave a review in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app and tell me what you love, but also where I can improve. I am here to serve you and I welcome your feedback.